Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Monday edition, the Columbus Day edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Jim Garrity is off today, probably basking in a third victory for the New York Jets in the first five games of the season. Uh, the Bears not so fortunate yesterday, unfortunately. Grateful to have Rob here. He is, of course, the co-founder of Ricochet, the co-host of the Glop podcast, host of the Martini Shot podcast, contributing editor at National Review Online, rock on tour, uh, renaissance man. Rob, great to have you back. Thanks for being here. <laughs> uh, happy to be here. You said Jets, right, with a J, not Mets with an M. <laughs> Because that wasn't such a good... That was not so good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of, the, of the teams that formerly occupied Shea Stadium, one had a good weekend and one not so much. Right. Uh, but yes, I have an That's answer, right. though, to this whole Columbus Day thing. Uh, you know, the, those of us who are traditionalists, you know, want to keep it Columbus Day. Those who don't have Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, I'm offering myself as the compromise here. Let's do Columbus Day and do Greek heritage. Uh, and, you know, then, then then the woke left will have something bad to say about Pericles or Socrates or something. Yeah, it's like a more more of your classical bias that we have to all go back to the Greeks. Give me a break. <laughs> um, yeah, no, uh, um, in New York City, it's great because um, I'll take any holiday you want because whenever there's even the the minorest, tiniest, most forgettable holiday. Um, the city uh, get, lets you park wherever you want to park. So I parked <laughs> on my street for the first time in a while. Came home last night. I don't have to move my car until Friday morning. Wow. Thanks to a combination of uh, Columbus Day or I think maybe it's Italian American Heritage Day or something. And then um, Indigenous Peoples Day, of course. And then uh, yeah, there's the Jewish holiday of Sukkot, which is a two-day thing. So more holidays, screams Rob. That way I get to park wherever I want. It's all about the parking for Rob. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to talk about New York City in just a moment. But first of all, uh, Rob, I don't know if you're allowed to even make fun of the idea of Indigenous Peoples Day or Columbus Day or anything anymore online. If PayPal... Well, you're not allowed to make fun of anything. So the answer to that is no. But, you know, some of us have to make it. It's my, it's my rice ball. I have to make a living here. The, the, apparently, at least for the moment, you're not going to get fined by PayPal to the tune of $2,500, but that's only because it appears somebody was actually reading the fine print on their upcoming acceptable use policy. Over at Town Hall, they've got the story. According to the initial policy, PayPal said its list of quote-unquote prohibited activities would grow on November 3rd to include, quote, the sending, posting, or publication of any messages, content, or materials that promote misinformation, or present a risk to user safety or well-being. Additionally, users could not promote hate, violence, racial, or other forms of intolerance that is discriminatory. Violating the new policies could result in damages, including a fine of $2,500 that could be debited directly from your PayPal account for each use. Now, Rob, 15, 20 years ago, beyond that, you know, people had a pretty good idea of what hateful speech was. I mean, if you're a full-blown Nazi or you're with the KKK and that kind of thing, now it's just anything that liberals disagree with. So anything uh, in that realm, PayPal could uh, just $2,500 out of the account that you attach to your PayPal account, and they wouldn't even tell you about it uh, until you saw your statement. So now they claim 
that this was released in error, Rob. This is something that never should have gone out because I'm sure it, was. it was never on the brink of being an actual policy. This stuff goes through layers and layers and legions of lawyers. And so to think that PayPal was ever on the brink of actually fleecing you of $2,500 for something that's not politically correct, perish the thought. So uh, what really happened here? I just assumed they got caught, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think probably they may be, they, they are correct. It was released in error. It is an error to release that. <laughs> um, that was correct. A bunch of weird things going on here. One is a Klansman, I mean, as loathsome as it is to be a Klansman or to be a Nazi or any of these other you know, loathsome things, you and I have our own list, but I'm sure there's a huge overlap in all the things that we hate. You still shouldn't be fined. You can't be fined by a private company for something that, you they've un, they haven't even defined as you know what was it, you posted something on Twitter so PayPal investigators see it and find you it's, it's the weirdest policy ever but the idea that there were layers that were still to look at this is I think what's more interesting because of course the layers already did look at this this was already language that somebody composed in PayPal somebody put it together everything uh, certainly in the terms of use or acceptable use policy uh, all of those policies go through layers and layers and layers of of lawyering and checking it out and relooking at it and redlining it before it even gets sort of mounted into a place that it could potentially go live on the PayPal server or the public facing part of it anyway. I mean, the the idea that this is an error or somehow, oh gosh, we, we just, we mistakenly typed up this stupid, horrible policy that everyone knows is terrible and we mistakenly pressed send is just not believable. And it, and it feeds into the Certainly the right, but I think every civil libertarian's idea that big tech is either going to have to clean itself up in a major way, which probably won't happen, or be regulated. Now, if you leave PayPal, where do you go, right? Venmo? Well, PayPal owns Venmo. So there aren't that many places for you to go. And if you're walking into your offices at PayPal and you think that any part of your job description is to police the online persona or online speech of your customers, um, you should be fired that instant. That is, that is to me, that would be a fireable offense. And until, if PayPal does not fire the 100 or 200 people involved in this, and I guarantee you it was more than a dozen to get it this far, um, it's not serious. And if it's not serious, then, you know, all these uh, opportunistic, loudmouth, grandstanding Republican senators and congressmen have every right to drag those guys in for hearings and every right to start drafting legislation to put PayPal and Venmo and everybody else under deep, deep scrutiny. They're beyond social media. I mean, PayPal is not a social media site. PayPal is a way to pay yeah. people easily uh, so you don't actually have to write them a check and stuff. So um for them to get into this game, and we know from Facebook and, and Twitter and, and other places that, you know, you get suspended under suspicious circumstances, but it only seems to happen on one side of the political aisle or, uh, you know, you get the, the little right, blue right. link at the bottom of your tweet. Oh, you, I see you mentioned COVID. Uh, and so uh, here's the here's the real facts on, on on all this because, you know, you might have said something that isn't conventional wisdom from the left. So uh, do you think this is actually – a tipping point, or is this just going to be lost in the ether here in the next 48 hours because something else will uh, overshadow it and everybody will move on? Well, <laughs> I think it's always going to be the latter. We don't really seem to be holding our holding one idea in our head for longer than 48 hours. But 
um, this all all the stuff adds up. And if you're running PayPal, you are not out of the range of federal regulators who love to regulate. And if you want to have your business, you can't be levying fines on your uh, certainly involuntarily on your customers. The idea that like, oh, we're I think in the actual official statements that we're sorry for the confusion. (laughs) There was nothing confusing about it. It was completely clear. What they're sorry for is that this some that they somehow are in such an enormous bubble. The entire company at PayPal is somehow so entirely, entirely within its own um, oxygen chamber that the 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 people who wrote the copy, the people who coded it, the people who typed it into the whatever the CMS they're using, the lawyers who vetted it, and then the lawyers who vetted it when the lawyers vetted it. I mean, this is the acceptable use policy. It's a legal document. All of those people are insane, and they should be fired. But I suspect, as you put it, they won't be um, until the next outrage. But I guarantee you, if they ever impose this, it would be the end. I mean, it's one thing to kick somebody off Twitter or kick somebody off Facebook, for that matter. It's another thing to go <laughs> into your bank account and take your money, set an arbitrary fee of 20 So it's $2,500. For, how much is it for saying that masks don't work? Like, what's the price for that? What's the price for saying that um, uh, lockdowns were stupid and that schools should have been open? I mean, how, how much are we going to charge for that by PayPal? We're entering a period where even civil libertarians who like the government to take a very light hand in regulation are going to have to be saying to somebody, you know, whoever the loudest, loudest mouth u.s republican senator is like get in there pass some laws it's insane it's insane and it's so vague again with the language because it could be absolutely anything that the left decides right. that right. Uh, is, is unacceptable from its perspective so it's just just insane uh i'll tell you what's not insane though is the results you can get from nutrafol you don't have to choose between better hair growth and your health there's a holistic solution for men that promotes both healthier hair and whole body wellness so get ahead of that thinning hair with nutrafol's Whole body approach to hair growth, no drugs, no compromises. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement, clinically shown to improve your hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage. Nutrafol's hair growth nutraceuticals go beyond genetics to multi target the root causes of thinning, including stress, hormones, nutrition, metabolism, aging, and lifestyle through whole body health. Nutrafol is also trusted and recommended by more than three thousand top doctors you can grow thicker and healthier hair and support the three martini lunch by going to nutrifall.com slash men and entering the promo code martini to save 15 dollars off your first month subscription this is nutrifall's best offer anywhere and it's only available to u.s customers for a limited time plus free shipping on every order get 15 dollars off at nutrifall.com slash men spelled n-u-t-r-a-f-o-l dot com slash men promo code Martini. All right, Rob, on to a double-fisted second crazy martini here. And for that, we go to your current hometown of New York City. Uh, (laughs) First of all, we've got a crime wave. Violent crime is up, I think I saw somewhere north of 30% uh, here in 2022. And we seem to be hearing headlines about the carnage in New York City every day. The last two that are making headlines are Two people shot literally out front of Lee Zeldin's house. Uh, he is the Republican uh, nominee for governor of uh, New York, and I think he's out on Long Island. It's not like he's in you know, the worst neighborhoods uh, in the state. Uh, and right. also, um, 
in the city, uh, somebody was run over by a car and I believe killed, and someone uh, decided to slide under the car and rob the dead person, that pickpocket or sick pocket, I think, as the New York Post uh, put it. So, Rob, you're living there. You see what's happening uh, on the crime front. Meanwhile, uh, the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, is apparently trading favors with uh, one of his buddies. This is the New York Post again. Uh, Schools Chancellor David Banks quietly promoted Mayor Adams' girlfriend to a top job at the Department of Education just months after Adams hired Banks' girlfriend as a deputy mayor. Banks named Tracy Collins, Adams' longtime partner and NYC's unofficial first lady, as the DOE's senior advisor to the deputy chancellor of school leadership, Desmond Blackburn. She started the new job in July and got a giant 23% raise to $221,597 per year record show. His honor named Banks' girlfriend Sheena Wright and four other women deputy mayors last December 21st. Deputy mayors made $251,952 in fiscal year 2021. So, Rob, uh, start wherever you want. Crime, uh, quid, quid pro quos, what's going on in the Big Apple here? I, and the good news is I can, I can park. I think I mentioned that once or twice. Um, <laughs> the bad news is that crime's going up on, on two fronts that are not connected, that are not related, interestingly. Okay, so the, the crime is up in normal crime. The crime now, now we think about uh, kind of with nostalgia and almost kind of an understanding, right? I mean, robbery, muggings, that kind of thing. That's like old classic New York. Okay, I get it. I mean, it's terrible, but I get it. Guy wants your money, he's going to steal your money. But there's a second kind of crime, second order of crime, which is crime by insane people who are irrational and 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 unpredictable and are pushing people in front of buses and subways. Um, and because the new the city is slowly filling up with uh, ambulatory psychotics, these are two separate problems. They don't. They, there's no. The only thing that can possibly solve both those problems is more cops on the street and a more aggressive um, posture for uh, homeless people and. Um, and crazy people, psychotics on the street. Uh, more cops on the street will sort of terrify or at least quell some of the robbery. Um, but more cops on the street will have to execute a plan to get the crazy people off the street. So basically, all we're doing is adding more responsibilities to the police, which is going to cost money, which brings us to the second issue, right? Which is this incredible log rolling. So if you vote for a mayor who's got a girlfriend and his friend other friends got a girlfriend, it's gonna cost taxpayers half a million dollars a year. That's what that that's what Eric Adams has now identified as a market. Um, I will hire your girlfriend for fit for two hundred fifty grand. But by the way, that's two hundred fifty, that's the base salary in the city, right? So that doesn't include any of the fringes or any of the packages or any of the pension. And we all know when you work for New York City, those things are really, really juicy. Better than anyone I, I guarantee you that their you know all-in comp package not maybe not the number but the components of it is greater and 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 uh more uh generous than anyone else is listening to this podcast so work for the city of new york is to to really to have made it you don't you you don't get fired you don't lose your goodies you get an incredible pension you're you're set and those are the priorities right now of the mayor. I, I I do not understand what's going on in his brain. He has only one thing he needs to do, and that is to appear on the street and to talk about how he's going to put bad guys behind bars and put crazy people, you know, in some safe place so they can't push in front of the subway train. That's all he's got to do. 
Uh, and instead, he's um, I don't know. He's hiring a you know bring your girlfriend to work day. I don't I don't quite get it. I don't. Uh, it's baffling <laughs> to me. He ran he ran a brilliantly smart campaign, surgically designed to become the next mayor, and um, and it's like it's all just kind of gone out of his head. Well, what's the what's the mood in New York? I mean, are people afraid to go do what they would have done three, four or five years ago uh, or maybe even 10 years ago pre de Blasio? What's uh, is, is there a, a general mood? That well, this yeah, is affecting behavior. I, I think there's, there's a mood for I think there's sort of three layers. It depends on how old you are. Right. So if you're old and you're an old New Yorker, this all just seems kind of familiar, like you're going back in time. And it actually doesn't seem as bad as that. It really doesn't. I mean, it doesn't seem as bad as 1990 was the high watermark in New York City for murders. And it doesn't seem like, okay, we're not there. We're not even close to there. If you're younger and you don't, and all you remember is the post Giuliani New York, which is, I mean, by the way, younger, that's 40. That's this is just bedlam. You can't believe it. You can't, oh my God, I just saw somebody use heroin in Washington Square Park. What am I going to do? And if you're old, you're like, well, what are you, you going to do? You're like, that's normal, right? That was normal for many years. So the, the mood, there's, there's, there's two moods. One is outrage and the other is, oh, well, here, here it comes again. Um, but again, the difference here now is that there's that second kind of crime, which is the crime of insanity and irrational psychotics on the street. And that is something brand new here. And that is something really terrifying. Um, you know, New York is held together by a thin thread where you assume that everyone here, even the robbers and the muggers, they're still New Yorkers. The minute you in inject into this city, which is held together by very, very, very thin line of civility, uh, ambulatory psychotics doing whatever they want to do, um, it starts to get dark. You start to think to yourself, well, wait. Why do I live in this asylum? Why don't I leave this asylum and go where there aren't crazy people on the street? I suspect that's going to either, either – once Eric Adams dis, the, hires everyone else's girlfriend and they hire everyone else he wants them to hire, once he's done with that, probably in a couple of years, right, then he can tackle this problem. But until he tackles this problem, New York will get worse and worse and worse and worse. Yeah, I'm not sure not quite as bad as Dinkins is the best way to spin this if you're uh, the Adams administration. <laughs> yeah. but uh, Right, right. New York and so many other American cities obviously heading in the wrong direction. All right, on to our final martini for the day. Another crazy and, uh, you know, you got tight Senate races, you got tight governor's races around the country. And one that a lot of folks are watching is Arizona, which is suddenly a purple state and a very tight governor's race there. Uh, open seat. Uh, Doug Ducey can't run for re-election. He's the Republican who won by about 15 points four years ago. And now it's um, Carrie Lake, the Republican, against Katie Hobbs, uh, the Democrat. Katie Hobbs will not debate Carrie Lake, uh, but she will uh, do a series of interviews in a number of places. And this time, uh, she was doing one uh, specifically aimed towards a Latino audience. And as we have uh, documented a number of times, even I think a few times when you've been here, Rob, uh, the Democrats are losing a lot of ground with Latinos. They're not really sure why, although we could explain it to them. They are floundering uh, trying to get it back. Uh, see breakfast taco comment from Jill Biden a few weeks ago uh, in Texas. But uh, here's the question. Very simple for Katie Hobbs. What have you learned specifically from the Latino community and uh, here is the word salad that followed. Let me ask you, how has it impacted you personally? What have you learned, specifically learned from the Latino community? Oh, 
That's a great question. Um, I don't necessarily uh, think about it that way in those terms. I think um, I really value uh, my relationships across the board with, um, with 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 different folks, and um, and I learn all the time from from people uh, in my life. My sister-in-law, um, she is uh, Latino, and uh, her family. Uh, I love hanging out with them and uh, practicing my Espanol un <laughs> poquito. Uh, so, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just it's um, I learned so much from from her family. Uh, but I think um, it, it it's really hard to separate out Arizona and subtract Latino culture because it's so much a part of who we are as a state. And um, and I and I, um, I I Arizona wouldn't be Arizona without the what the Latino community brings. Rob, I counted 18 us in a minute there, and I think oh, there were yeah. way more stutters than that. The shorter answer, the better here when you don't have a good one. Uh, <laughs> And so uh, this situation where you're just trying to pander over and over again, I do give her credit for a couple of things. Number one, she called her sister-in-law a Latino. It's wrong. should have been a Latina, but at least she didn't say Latinx or Latine from our previous conversation uh, a, couple, yeah. a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> but other than that, well, it's great because I get to practice my Spanish a little. So uh, the Democrats, like I said, they're flailing on this and they have no idea how to solve it. When a Democratic politician does not know instinctively how to pander to an ethnic group, any ethnic group, let alone some an ethnic group as powerful in Arizona as Hispanics. I mean, when she couldn't just turn off her brain and talk and say something pandering and totally acceptable as an answer to that question, it's like, what else is she doing? Like, what on earth is her day like? What was the prep like for this campaign that it did not include? Okay, you're gonna get the Hispanic question. The proud people, Arizona is really Hispanic. The border actually, you know, used to be to our north, and then they moved it to the south. So we've always been here. And what what have I learned from you? Is like the blah 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 resilience of family and uh, the patriotism and strength and um, religious faith and blah blah. I, I I could do this. I could run for go- I could run. I would run a better campaign as a Democratic governor for Arizona. And the current one the Democratic Party has. It's just bananas. That, like, man, that's all. It's, it's sort of like when, when, if you ask a Republican running to uh, say if, if he's in favor of tax cuts, right? And why? If a Republican running can't tell you with his eyes shut, half asleep, maybe even at two thirds drunk, make a cogent argument for tax cuts, then they're not, they, they should not be there. If a Democrat, can't I shut completely incapacitated, not manage a coherent two minute speech about the glittering mosaic of the American culture and how much we learn from each other and how powerful that the community is, that whatever community that she's been asked about is go stay home. You're the wrong line of work. This lady should not be in democratic politics. You can't pander coherently to an ethnic group. Then what else can you do? I mean, does she have any other political skills that I haven't seen? Uh, she does a bad job at running elections because that's her current job in the primary. It took yeah, forever to right, count the vote. Right. So competence isn't the answer here. Uh, I'm not sure what else is. <laughs> I am, as you know, I'm a total Republican squish. So I basically, uh, you know, I, I, I feel completely at sea politically. Um, 
uh, I, but I agree with Mitch McConnell, somebody I sort of admire. I, but I agree with him that the, the Republicans have a problem this, this semester, this time, this cycle with uh, um, candidate equality. But so do the Democrats. My God, why is this? I mean, I guess I would understand if she's running for, you know, governor of Wisconsin or Michigan or Maine. And someone asked about the Latino community. I guess I would understand that because she's just so used to talk about, you know, Norwegians and Lutherans, whatever. But in Arizona, she doesn't have the the speech memorized. I don't to give her an IQ test. This is not good. Well, we're not in the business of helping Democrats, but uh, this is basic blocking and tackling, uh, especially. What's well, just sheer professionalism at some point. You have to have, you know, you, you know even your opponents, you, you think they should come, they should rise to a certain level of quality. That was just bananas. Yeah, Hobbs won't uh, debate Carrie Lake, uh, so I think I think Carrie Lake yeah. just needs to chop this up <laughs> into an ad and say, well, "Oh my God, maybe, yeah, maybe this right, is why right. <laughs> she gave her she got sixty she, seconds. She to doesn't answer know the answer. A, a softball question and completely mangled it. So uh, amazing stuff, Rob. Happy Columbus Day. Enjoy your parking. Pat, thank you very much. I'll see you next time. Happy Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, or Columbus Day. I'm, again, I'm, ha- I'm happy to be the middle ground here if we have to, but I still want to keep it Columbus Day. Uh, Rob Long is the uh, contributing editor at National Review Online. He's also the co-founder of Ricochet, host of the Martini Shot podcast, co-host of the Glop podcast. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Jim Garrity will be back on Tuesday. Thank you very much in the meantime for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Please subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Uh, you can also get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Uh, don't forget about Jim's brand new thriller, Gathering Five Storms, the accompanying short story, Saving the Devil. Follow us all on Twitter. Rob is at RCBL. Jim is at Jim Garrity. I'm at... Dateline underscore DC. Have a great day, a great Columbus Day, and join us again on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Texas Congressman Troy Nels joins me to discuss the Biden administration weaponizing the FBI for political purposes. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, Nels also tells us about his new book on what the partisan January 6th committee won't tell you about the 2020 elections and the violence at the Capitol. I'll also tell you about how more and more Hispanic voters are fired up to vote for Republicans. Follow The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.